stay standing and let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, we want to still our hearts before you. There's that new song we've been singing that has this line, I will wait until you speak. So we want to still our hearts to stop, to see laugh, to pause, to listen to what you want to speak to us today. Father, I pray that you would come. We don't want to just learn about you. We want to learn from you. If you're not here, there's no point. We need you, Jesus. Because you are alive, I ask that you would fill this room with your presence. That, Father, each and every one here today would meet you. Father, hide me in the rock that people don't see me. But people would hear your words, Lord. Because your words change our lives, Father. And that's what I'm asking today, is that we would meet with you, Jesus. And that you would change our lives, change our hearts. In your precious name, amen. You may be seated. All right. The Lord has given me a word for us today. And um, how many of you love to live a boring life? Oh, there's no hands. I believe what the Lord has for each and every one of us is extraordinary. I don't think as believers that we're supposed to live ordinary lives. In fact, I've, I've gotten to the point, I don't want to call myself necessarily a Christian anymore, although I am a Christian. I just want to be a disciple of Jesus. And I'll tell you why I say that, because for me, being a Christian, because I was brought up in a Christian family, being a Christian meant that you tick a whole lot of boxes to be a good Christian. So a good Christian always prays, and a good Christian always reads their Bible, and a good Christian always comes to church. But if you're doing things to be a good Christian, then you might as well do them to be a good Muslim or a good whatever else, because there's no relationship in that. But I don't have a goal to be a good Christian anymore. I just have a goal that I want to be more like Jesus. I just want to get to know him more. I want to be so close to him that I hear everything he says. I don't want to hear anything else anymore. I didn't really know what to title this. I've got three different titles here, and I'm like, Lord, which one do I do I say? But I think I want to title it Turn Your Hearts. Turn your hearts. So can you open your Bibles, please, to the book of Malachi? And um, I gave my Bible away yesterday. 
the Lord asked me to give away my beautiful Bible. You know how you get really attached to your own Bible? So I'm using my phone and I feel a little bit lost, but it's all good. Okay, um, Malachi. Go to chapter 4 for me, and we're going to read verse 6. This is the last verse of the last book of the Old Testament. It is a promise of what is coming. It is a prophecy of what would happen when Messiah comes. But this is what God has put in my heart, and all day yesterday, this word was just ringing inside of me. Let's, let's look at it. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Would you say our earth is exactly blessed at the moment? How many can look around the world and, and think maybe there's some curse going on? I always thought this passage was talking about a fatherless generation. And I believe it is. But I believe God has showed me something way bigger than just what we can see on the surface. Just out of curiosity, how many in this room have had a stable father their whole life? How many? All right. How many know of other people who have had a stable father, like as in ratio, would you say it's the majority of your friends or the minority who've had a stable father? Who says majority have had a stable father of your friends? What about the minority of your friends? Okay. We used to say, you know, some that poor person, they came from a really dysfunctional family. Um, now it's like, wow, you come from a functional family because the majority of them are severely dysfunctional. He wants to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. This is what I think the Lord wants to deal with in us today. I want to look at the hearts of the children. I'm not talking about the children that we see out in the world, although this relates to them too. I know there's a lot of frustration in myself included with the current generation. Have you ever found yourself saying things like, oh, I would never have disrespected my parents like that. I would never have said that to an adult. We were brought up, who was brought up to be respectful? You were brought up to be respectful, weren't you? Yeah. And children kind of knew their place. But here's what I feel has happened in the spirit. You see, what is the mark of a child is that they are being parented. The mark of a child is that they don't know everything and they are underneath the parental guidance of their mum and their dad. But I, I feel like God has said to me, we need to turn our hearts back to the Father because we 
have adopted an attitude of, I don't need to be told what to do. I know what to do. I've got this. Just like Jeremy was talking about before, the need for humility. You know, it's not nice when children tell their parents what to do. It's distasteful. But so many times I think we've entered into a mentality where it's okay for us to tell God our plans and what we're going to do and what he needs to do. Sometimes it's like we have our big to-do list and we say, right, God, here's all the things you need to do for me. He's saying, I actually want your heart to turn. I want you to become a child again. The child doesn't decide where they're going on the weekend. The parents decide what's happening, right? What activities are going on, where they're going, how long they're going for, if they're even leaving home. What happens is as children... We follow what the parents have set out to do. And I feel like the Lord is saying, he is calling us in our generation, who will return to the Father? Who will let their heart turn back to the Father? And let him father you. Because not just them out there, those children, those rebels, are a fatherless generation. No, I believe it's crept into the church. And we have not want to be fathered. Don't tell me what to do. Don't ask me to do what I don't want to do. I want to do what I want to do. And God is saying, I am, I am asking, will you turn your heart, will you allow the Holy Spirit to come and to turn your heart back to the Father? Because we've got this little cat. Honestly, I'm learning so much from this kid. He, he frustrates me. I love him so much. This little, this little guy, I just love him. But he frustrates me because he's so afraid of everything. And he thinks that I have bad intentions toward him. So I come and say, Samuel, come here, beautiful grouchy, you just beautiful, I get some boy. And I get about this far away. And then I, he gets that look and I go, and he takes off running. <laughs> the other day I said to him, Samuel, won't you just let me love you? All I want to do is love you. But you keep running from me because you don't know me. He doesn't understand my purpose for him is not to bring him into captivity. It's to bring him into relationship. He thinks if I pick him up, he's going to be my captive. But what really is the truth is if I'm allowed to pick him up, I'm going to love him so that he feels part of the family and not an outcast anymore. I just want to love him. And our Heavenly Father wants to love us. But there's rebellion sometimes in our hearts where we go, no, I'm afraid of you. If I get close to you, you're going to make me do something I don't want to do. You're going to restrict my life. You're going to make me a captive. I don't want to get any closer in case you ask me to do something that's uncomfortable. I want to tell you there's a Heavenly Father who's saying to his children, come, because I just want to love you. I want to love you. I want to love you. I want you to have relationship. He doesn't put his arms around us to talk.
tightly hold us and restrict us. He puts his arms around us because he knows there's a storm coming and he's the only safe place that we can find our refuge. We have to be in him. Go to John chapter 15 for me. I've been meditating and meditating and meditating on this passage and something just leapt out at me again this morning. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Let me know when you've got it, because I've got, I've got a lot of time, but I've got a lot to get through, because I believe God is going to show up this morning. All right, John 15. He is already here, Trish. Do you know what? He's here with his arms already open. And today, today, you can actually receive of his love. And I'm going to tell you what happens when you receive his love. You change. Do you know when we do eventually get to catch Samuel and I get to hold him? He comes and he, he, comes and he sits up here and he tries to hide in, in my neck. And all, all I do is just stroke him and I say, I love you. I love you. And very occasionally then I hear him start to That's what God has for us today. He has something so much bigger than what we could ever comprehend. I heard someone say something the other day that resonated within me, made so much sense. They said, do you know, do you know how, like, the world keeps telling everybody, you just gotta look within yourself, the answer's within yourself, right? But here's the problem, we don't know ourselves. And the evidence of that is all the personality tests and all these things out there. Who are you? Find out. Discover yourself. Why do you need to discover yourself if you know yourself? The problem is we don't know ourselves. How many have ever been in a situation where they reacted and went, oh, what do you think I would react like that? Sometimes I just go, I don't even know what's wrong with me. Anyone been there before? I don't know what's wrong with me. Why am I doing this? Why do I do that? Timothy said to me in the car this morning, oh, mum, I do it every time. I said, what, mate? He said, I put my seatbelt on, and a second later, I reach up and try to put it on again. <laughs> he forgets he's done it. He said, I don't know why, I always do it. He said, mum, we just need to have two seatbelts. <laughs> that was his solution. I said, you could just pray that Jesus stopped you doing that. He goes, nah, it's not a problem, mum. We just need two seatbelts. And then when I reach back up for the second one, it'll be there. I can buckle that one. <laughs> But you know, we don't know what makes us tick. And the reason we don't know that is because we didn't make ourselves. Now, if we created something, an invention, we would know how it worked. We would understand it fully because we created it. But we don't know ourselves fully because we didn't create ourselves. He created us. And if we want to know about us, we actually need to get to know him. Because he's the only one who can truly tell you who you are. He made you. And this is what he's saying in John 15. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. So much so that I think we try to graft ourselves into some other vine thinking that that will give us the life we want. But Jesus is calling us back to the true vine. 
He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Um, do you have the clicker there? Can, can, yeah, thank you. I clean um, a doctor's surgery early hours of the morning, five days a week. And this is the tree out the back of their surgery. And, and every day I take the rubbish out and I put it in the bin, which is just a bit further past that. And every day I walk back and I look at that tree and I go, wow. We're days away from spring and it still hasn't let go of its old leaves. It's still got its old leaves on the bottom. Can you see that? Normally by now they've well and truly fallen off, right? He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Here is the word the Lord spoke to me two weeks ago. He said, we are entering a new season. I'm going to unpack this a little bit more. We're entering a new season. But I believe he wants to prune us so we can enter into the new season. Because I look at this tree, it's hanging on to these leaves. But they're ugly. They're dead. There's no life left in them. All it needs to do is let go. Because where those old leaves are, the new leaves can't come. <clears throat> so many times I think we hold on to our old season because we think that's where God met us. That's where God is. He's in the old season. But God is. Full stop. Yes, he's the one who was, but he's the one who is, and the one who is to come. But I think we are supposed to live in the God who is. Because if we live in the God who was, we don't have anything fresh to bring to our society, to our world. If we live in the God who was, we don't have access to our daily bread because we're still trying to live off of yesterday's manna. Do you know, I, I heard a true story about a couple that went on a cruise. They saved up all their money. It was a dream of a lifetime. And they went on this cruise. And it was about three days before they were docking for the last time and hopping off. And they, um, they met the captain. He was doing, like, walking around the ship. They happened to be up on the deck, and they met the captain, and, and he said, oh, have you enjoyed your time on the cruise? They said, yes, yes, it's been wonderful. Thank you. It's a dream come true. He said, I'm just, I'm just curious. We've never seen you in the dining hall. You, you've never come and um, eaten with us the whole time. They said, oh, we could only just afford the fare for the cruise. We couldn't afford any food. So we've been just eating crackers and moldy cheese and whatever we could pack in to last the time in our room. And he looked at him and he said, did no one tell you that food was included in the price? Can you imagine that? Sometimes what happens is we're trying to eat all our old stale stuff thinking that that's all there is. But there's more. There's freshly cooked bread. There's a banqueting table. If you've ever been on a cruise, you know the food is laid on. It is in abundance. That's what he has for us. We've got to let go of the old. 
What do the old leaves look like in our lives? Well, let's start with unforgiveness. Sometimes we hold on to stuff. We just feel like we can't let it go. And I, I've got to tell you, it's going to hinder your new season. And it's going to hinder your ability to produce fruit in your new season. You've got to let go of unforgiveness. You've got to let go of disappointment. It's got to go. Even the way that you have always related to God up to this point. See, we could, Jeremy and I could go to the same restaurant every year for our anniversary if we wanted to. But sometimes it's great to create new memories and new moments. It's good to honour the past, but sometimes we need that freshness to come in. We have to let go of the old season. All right, verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You, sorry, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Let me just skip down. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. He keeps saying, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. But it was verse 9 that really struck me today. What does it mean to abide in the Lord? Verse 9 says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7. Many of you will know this. Proverbs 3, 5, you can start it off. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And you'll know it. And lean not in your understanding. In all your ways, what do we do? And what happens? Okay. I found out something. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I found out what that word acknowledge means. Guess what it means? It means know him. It's the same word that was used when it said, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. Kind of changes it, doesn't it? In all your ways, in all your ways, know him. See love. Pause. In all your ways, know him. So your child asks you for something, and you think, oh, I don't really think I want you to have that. But how do I how do I express this? Do I do I say, no, you're not doing that. No, you're not having that. In this moment, in this way, I'm going to know him. I'm going to pause. What? 
what is your way? I want to acknowledge you. I want to know you. And you'll hear his heart and you can say to your child, hey, that's not the best way for you to go and I'll explain to you why. There's a better path for you. In all your ways, know him. When you're feeling conflict between your spouse and you want to say something that maybe needs to be said, but you need to first know him. Hear his voice. Don't lean on your own understanding because you're not going to get yourself where you need to go. You've got to trust the one who made you, created you, who knows you. You know him. In all your ways, know him. Pause. Wait. How do I respond? He said, this is how you will be my disciples. You need to abide in my love. If we truly live in the love of God, everything changes because our perspective changes. So I need to act something out. I need a chair. Can I have that one? All right, can you just put the chair here for a sec, just in front of the stage, just, but just facing me. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay, who wants to come sit in my chair for me? Pull it back a bit. Volunteer? Marcus. There you go. You've been volunteered, Marcus. All right. This is what often comes when we pray. We come. We come before Father God. And we come and we bring our request. And that's scriptural, it says, to let your request be made known to God. We, he bring, Marcus wants to come and bring the request to Father God. When, when my child is asking me for something, they're asking me from their own understanding. Because that's all they know. That's all they know. Timothy can't possibly understand what I know at the age of 43 when he's 10. So he comes and he asks me according to his understanding. Mum, Dad, can we have this? Can we do that? It's his understanding. <coughs> but here's what our Heavenly Father has invited us into. Would you stand up in front of me, please?
that's what he wants for us. He wants us to abide in his love. Not where we feel like we're coming and we're begging, but where we're seated and we're one with him. And we can, we can have that heavenly conversation. Because then he says, see, if you abide in me and I in you, then you will ask what you desire and it will be done. Why? Because you're not asking from your own understanding anymore. You're sitting in heavenly places with Christ and you're asking from the understanding of what's in the Father's heart. What does he see? What does he say? Because that's where you see. That's, that's where you're sitting. That's what you hear. Marcus can hear the conversation of heaven because he's seated in heavenly places. He's abiding, abiding in the Father, seated. And does he look pretty stressed out to you? No. Good. He's seated. Because you know what? We stress when we think we have to do it. But when we're seated in heavenly places, there's no stress because we don't have to do it. We just get to sit and watch what gets done. It's a completely different mindset. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's a different mindset. I wish I could get each one of you to come up and have a different perspective. You can if you want to. When we're in kids' club, I can tell you you don't have to ask them twice. If you want to come up on the stage, they're there. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. So when something's going on for us and we're feeling agitated, we're seated in the wrong place. Because when you're agitated, you're not abiding in his love. When we are abiding in his love, we are abiding in peace. We are abiding in joy. We have rest for our souls. Because it's not my work, it's his work. And he does his work through me. Because he's abiding in me. But then I'm abiding in him. See, when we're seated in heavenly places, that's abiding in him. That's a realm so big, we could never, ever, ever plumb the depth of it. But um, him abiding in me it is, is he's filled this vessel, but now he wants to put this vessel in him. And when the vessel gets in him, woo, that's when the adventure starts. So who's got Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 open? Anyone? I haven't either, so I'm just going to go there. Because um, I actually want to read verse 7. So we've just learned, in all your ways know him, and he shall direct or make straight your paths. This is powerful. It's profound. When you've got something that's crooked, it's not getting where it needs to go. It's crooked. He's going to direct your path. He's going to make straight your path. What he's saying is, it doesn't matter that there's a Red Sea in front of you. When you are abiding in him and abiding in his love, and in all your ways, you know him. 
know him. Then I tell you what, you look that at that problem and now all of a sudden that crooked path is straight. You, you look at those areas of confusion and all of a sudden you have a clear direction, you know exactly what to do. And you begin to walk in the wisdom of God. Verse 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Do not be wise in your own eyes. I believe the new season ahead of us is a season of great, great harvest. But we're not going to get this harvest by being wise in our own eyes. If we think we have to have the answer for everyone. You know, Proverbs says, the preparation of the heart belongs to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So when we're abiding in him, all we need is to be in him. And whenever we go to a situation, we can look at that situation, and because we're in him, and we're seated with him, and we have his perspective, we can say what he says, and we're not coming from our own understanding, we're not being wise in our own opinion, we're not saying to someone, here's my opinion, that will help you. No, our opinion is not going to change someone's life. It is the power of the word of God. And you're not going to have his word on a situation. You know, you can give the word of God to someone and it's like a hammer and it does nothing except for condemn them. If you don't wait in the love of God and wait and hear his heart and then speak, you will speak, but it won't be life. Who's had someone use the word of God on them and it hasn't brought them life? We hate it, don't we? Because his words, it's, it's like that cat not understanding the love. And when we try and use the word of God, even for our own advantage, like we, we try and be wise in our own eyes, well, you shouldn't do that, the Bible says. What if we said, there's a better way for you? You have a heavenly father who wants to father you, who wants to love you, who wants to hold you. Come, run, run to him. Instead of saying, run from your sin, you bad person, say, run to Jesus because he'll conquer your sin. You know what? Stop telling people to fix themselves and bring them to the one who can repair any broken vessel. We need to take them the living bread of life. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Go to Hebrews chapter 3 for me real quick. And then I'm going to have to go to another illustration. I want to do. So Hebrews 3. And we're going to read verse 7 to 11. It says this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Remember, hearts of the children back to their fathers. Don't harden your hearts in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. I've got to tell you something. I've had to repent before God because I was so desperate to see his works that I neglected to seek to know his ways. I grew up in a Christian family. I found out that with one little stone, David took down a giant Goliath. And I knew that was a true story. In my Christian home, I learned that Moses used a rod of authority and he put it out like that and the sea parted. And a whole generation 
our slaves walked free. I wanted to see the works of God so bad. I found out that Jesus healed a blind man. And I wanted to see a blind man healed so bad. I wanted to see the works of God. The Pharisees came up to Jesus. We're about to read this. And they said, show us a sign from heaven. And he was so grieved with them. He was the sign. He was there. They didn't see him because they were looking for the works. They didn't catch the ways of God. He said, I was angry with that generation. They saw my works for 40 years. Every day they saw the faithfulness of God with the manna on the ground. Every day they saw his faithfulness. When they needed water, the rock would follow them. The water, pure living water would flow out of the rock for all their needs in the desert. This amazing God, they saw his works for 40 years. But verse 10 says, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. The difference between the children of Israel in the wilderness and Moses was that Moses pressed in close. He wanted to know the heart of God. He wanted to know the ways of God. He wanted to know God himself. He said, show me your glory. And God was like, go and do this. He said, yeah, but unless you come with me, I don't want to move. I don't want to go. He was so in love with this beautiful Savior. He loved him. Moses knew God, and God knew Moses. But the children of Israel only knew the works of God. They didn't know his ways. Verse, verse 12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is cold today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There is a new season where he's going to have a whole lot of children who are willing to be fathered, who are willing to let him into the deeper areas of their life. Go to Mark chapter 8. We're going to unpack something here together, and then I want to allow time the Holy Spirit to move and minister on our hearts. So Mark chapter 8. 8 is the number of new beginnings. We're in a new season and um, I believe this is some, some of the word of the Lord for this new season. So chapter 8 and we're going to start in verse 1. In those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat can you say nothing to eat? Nothing to eat. Alright, how much did they have to eat? Nothing. Okay. There's, a, there's another verse, sorry, I just got to erase it. Isaiah 55 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? That is describing the generation that we live in. They are trying everything. They are trying to buy everything. And nothing is satisfying them. Nothing is satisfying them. These, this multitude are the same. They are hungry. They have nothing to eat. 
Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude. This moment, Jesus is inviting us to come and sit with him in heavenly places. He is looking at our town of Stanthorpe, at our town, our city of Warwick, Tenerfield, uh, Wollongara. He's looking where we live and he's filled with compassion because they are hungry. They have nothing to eat. And if we can just begin to capture the heart of Jesus, he said, they'll continue now with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their houses, they may faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? They didn't have the same view as Jesus. They saw the wilderness. How can I satisfy these people with bread? They, they themselves probably felt like they were in a wilderness. Maybe some of you feel like this tree, like you've lost everything that was once meaningful to you. Maybe you feel like you're in a wilderness. Maybe you feel like you don't even have bread yet. How can I give to them what I don't even have? I feel like this. I feel like I've, I've kind of almost lost my way. My old season, it's gone, but I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know where to find myself. I don't know how to come back from this. I don't know how to produce new life and new food because I'm just stuck in my old season. I'm in this wilderness. And this is where the disciples were. They were looking at everything through a wilderness mentality. There's not enough. Jesus, there's not enough. I don't know what you're going through, but it's so easy when you're looking through the wrong eyes to come and say, Father, there's not enough. There's not enough. But verse 5, Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Okay, I'm going to get this. Thank you. Oh, this very fresh. Okay. Let me see you know, like when it's crusty on top, but really squishy on you. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. Where did they get the bread from? Who gave it to them? Jesus. He gave them what they needed. And then the disciples gave it to the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he set them aside also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Now they're being sent full. Immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Yep, glad I don't live there. Okay, here, here is where the Pharisees come out and begin to dispute with him, seeking a sign from heaven, testing him, but he sighed deeply in his spirit. Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. 
He's talking to the Pharisees. Verse 13, and he left them, the Pharisees, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he, Jesus, charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. What just happened just before this? Does anyone remember what we just read? What happened? Seven loaves fed 4,000, seven baskets of fragments left. Now they have one loaf of bread with them. But there's 12 disciples. Do, do you think that's enough bread? No. Based on what just happened, is that enough bread? Yes. Yeah. Two things here, two important things that I believe the Lord wants us to know for our new season. First is who we are, what we're called to do. And I'm about to unpack that for you more. And I believe this is something God is going to speak to every one of you today about your purpose, your calling. Because it's super, super important for the new season we're entering into. You have to know that. But the second thing, is what he says to be aware of. Now, Jesus didn't say this because they only had one loaf of bread in, in their um, boat. He had just finished talking to the Pharisees who wanted a sign. And he now says to his disciples, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Okay. Let's start with the leaven of Herod. Herod was supposed to be a Jew, but he was a mixture. He was in two camps. He took what pleased him of the law of God and totally disregarded the rest. There's a lot of Christians who have the leaven of Herod. They take the promises of God, but they don't want the discipleship. They want the blessing of God and the power of God, but they don't want the surrender to his authority. So there's a lot of leaven of Herod where it's like, oh, I want this. You know, I was even thinking about it. I, I have to change the way I preach the gospel. When I was a kid, I was told Jesus came and died for my sins so that I could go and be, be in heaven. We say, where's your eternal destination, heaven or hell, as if that is the ultimate goal is heaven. The ultimate goal is relationship with Jesus. Because heaven is not heaven without him. So we've sort of said to people, you want the prize. But we should be saying to people, you need the person. See, the Pharisees said, come and show us a sign. They wanted the prize. And Jesus said, I am here. They missed the person. You need the person. Not the prize. I tell you what, without Jesus, there would be no love in heaven. There would be no joy, no light, no beauty, because everything is found in him. Remember, it says that all things were created and exist and can exist because of him. We find our place in him. And the leaven of the Pharisees, 
Oh, I have had to repent of this many times. And I, I'm asking the Lord, please, will you will you let me even just... Have any of you ever sniffed, let, sniffed least, uh, yeast before? Do you know what it smells like? Yeast? It has an interesting smell, doesn't it? The yeast? Um, I'm just asking the Lord, can you make my spiritual nose sensitive to yeast, to leaven? Because what is the leaven of the Pharisees? It is self-righteousness. And it stinks. It really stinks. It's, and I, I've got to think about how I say this, but you can know all the words in the Bible. You can know all of them. You can know them off by heart and not know the word. So I, I did a lot of scripture memorization um, as a child and in my teen years, in my early 20s, a lot of scripture memorization. And I could tell you Psalm 91. I could tell it to you like that. I still can. But I wasn't abiding in the secret place of the Most High, like Psalm 91 says. I was abiding in my own understanding that if I say this, I get this. You know? You work, you get paid. I read Psalm 91, I get protection. It was like a formula. And I missed the person behind the pages. Does that make any sense? Yes, I We've got to know the person. Jesus says to his disciples, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The mixture and the self-righteousness because it will take away the bread that you're supposed to carry for the world around you. Jesus, verse 17, being aware of what they were thinking, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? They went in the boat and they had one loaf of bread. I now want to tell you what is in our new season. We have one loaf of bread, and that's all we need. Yeah. Because his name is Jesus. Yes. And when you have Jesus and you carry him into the new season with his purpose, your eyes are opened and you go, This is all we need. We have a generation, remember, it said they were hungry, they had nothing to eat. Our job in this new season is to take the freshly baked bread, not the stale crumbs of our old season. We need the freshly baked bread. Open up the oven, let the aroma out, and say, anyone hungry? Come. Will they find bread in the house of bread? Will they find bread in your life? Are you going to give them fresh bread or are you hanging on to stuff from your old season and that's not attractive to anybody? But there's fruit 
fruitfulness that he wants to bring out of your life that you, out of the abundance of who he is in you and who you are in him, that you have bread for the hungry. The bread of life. He wants us to walk in a new season where we are bearing fruit because we have allowed him to prune us. We've allowed him to father us. We've, we've come and set aside our agendas and our ways and we've come as little children and said, okay, I surrender everything. <coughs> All right, we're going to pray and just realize the time. Oh. I really believe today that God wants to deal with, with the stuff from our old season. He wants to deal with the leaven in our lives. Because there's an incredible purpose for us in the kingdom of God. This last week, I have had the privilege of abiding in him. I've been sitting in heavenly places and I've been, I've been hearing the gossip of heaven. <laughs> and what they talk about up there is so remarkable. I, I, I look at you, each one of you, and I see, I see the call of God in your life to be an image bearer of the Son. Yeah. 
people the way you normally see them and to see them the way he sees them. He said, oh, I have compassion on the multitude. They're hungry. They're hungry. Would you take them bread? Disciples, I'm going to give you the bread and you go and distribute it. I'm telling you, our new season is a very fruitful season. He's going to multiply what we have. We're going to see miracles like you've never even seen or heard of before. This is what the Lord told me, that it is a new season. It is a new thing. He's going to do something. Our old season is not going to match up to what he has for us right now. You are going to see miracles. Remember, Jesus said even greater things than these will you do. We're about to enter into the greater things season because we're almost out of time. We have to go and feed the hungry. But to do this, we have to first abide in him. We have to allow him to father us, to fill us with his love so that we can partner with him. We have to be under his authority ourselves before we can move in his authority. I have to stand corrected under the name of Jesus before I can correct someone in his name. I have to first be willing to surrender before I can ask someone else to surrender. I have to first say, Jesus, have all of me. Before I say to someone else, you give all of yourself to God. We must first come and eat of the bread of life ourselves. Let go of the old season. There's a new season here. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father. Lord, I'm not excluding myself from this word because I feel it's for me. You're asking me to let go of everything from my old season. Even all my old expectations of how I thought you would move and what I thought you would do. God, I'm really sorry where I have been looking for a sign instead of the person. God, where I've allowed leaven into my heart to contaminate the pure bread of God. God, I repent before you where I've allowed mixture in my life, where I've wanted some of God and some of me, where I've said yes to your will, but I've also wanted to say yes to my will. God, I surrender it today. Lord, I say that we would be able to look at the Lord's prayer with new eyes. And we say, Lord, that your kingdom come and your will be done. I want to say in Anita as it is in heaven. Lord, begin the work in our lives. Begin the work in us, Jesus. Help us. Help us to lay aside everything, everything that, that is holding us back from running the race that you set before us, Lord. I'm so sorry when we've tried to produce fruit for the kingdom of God, but we've not allowed you to prune us. God, I pray that we would willingly enter into the pruning so that the new life can come forth, Lord, so the branch can bear much fruit the way you designed it to, Lord. Father, I pray for our suburbs. I pray for our streets. I pray for our cities, God. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for them. Lord, I believe you're wanting us to take fresh bread to Warwick, Fresh bread to Wollongara, to, to 
some things broken off as well. Some of you, what's holding you back, and I believe if this is you, I want you to stand your feet quickly because you're going to be delivered today. But there's a fear of man, there's a fear of failure, and there's a fear of rejection. And that's part of your old season and it's holding you back. If that's you, stand to your feet. If you're already on your feet, just raise your hand and say, Jesus, set me free. Set me free. Because you can't go into your new season fearing what man thinks. You have to go into your new season fearing what God thinks. He wants to put a fresh fear of God in our lives, burning in our hearts, that we're quick to obey, quick to obey, quick to say yes. Put your hand up. Fear of man, fear of rejection, fear of failure. Who's got those things? Who's they're going today? They're going today. today and you've actually been afraid of God. You're afraid of his will because you think he wants to restrict you like my kitten being saved. He wants to set you free today. He wants to set you free. If you've been afraid of God, today he wants you to enter into his love. The vast sea, the never-ending depths of his love. Father, I pray for those people who've been afraid, secretly afraid of your will because they, they fear restriction. They fear a life of being held back and not having joy or, or freedom in their life. Father, I pray that these lies will come crashing down today. Father, that they would begin to experience the love of a father. Father, that they would begin to experience life and abundance from you, Lord God. Lord, I pray that they would have the fear of God and not be afraid of you. Lord, that they would reverence you, that they would stand in awe of our Creator who made everything, but that they would press in close to your heart. Father, may we be both. May we be there right near you, hearing your heartbeat, daughters, sons of God. And may we also be reverential servants of the Lord, quick to do your bidding, Father God. May we walk in both the love of God and the fear of God. Lord, may we walk in this new season very deeply respectful of you, Lord, prepared to take up our cross and follow you, surrendering everything to you, Jesus.
Jesus. I pray you take our offering today. The offering of our lives, of our past, of everything. We surrender it all to you. I pray that you would bring forth much fruit from us, from our lives. Fruit to feed the hungry around us, Jesus. Lord, I ask for a fresh and filling of your Holy Spirit upon each and every one here. A fresh and filling of your Holy Spirit. Give them eyes to see differently this week, Lord. Let them be seated in heavenly places with you, Lord. Far above all principality and power and mind and intellect. 